Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We are, of course, here talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And joining us today, we have the MCU guru himself, Dr. Arnold Blumberg from the Marvel Cinematic Universe Review Podcast. Hi, guys. It's such a pleasure to be doing this. Thanks for asking me to join you. We are thrilled to have you joining us uh, this week. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk with you. What's your background with the MCU and comics? Well, uh, apart from the usual, I guess, that most people would say, which is going back to childhood and reading everything. Um, I I turn a lot of my hobbies into professions over the years, and I I spent about 20 years in the comics industry on sort of the collectible side. I was editor of uh, the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide, uh, did tons and tons of writing in sort of the heyday of a lot of the comic uh, journalism magazines. And um, and then that segued into a lot of teaching and academic work. And over the years, I've taught courses in comic book literature and superhero mythology. And a few years back, I taught what we're pretty certain was the world's first ever course specifically on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And since then... How fun. Yeah, the MCU guru thing kind of stuck. And I've been doing many <laughs> other things since. What made you want to spin up a course on the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, inter- asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd been teaching one in the zombie films for a number of years. And like my little cottage industry is using pop culture to teach media literacy and critical thinking. And uh, the beauty of it is you can pick virtually any lens to look through for all kind of discussion of race, gender, economic class, politics, everything you can think of. It's a great way to engage students. Having done the zombies for a while, I was looking for the other areas where I have a particular passion and knew I could really invest myself in it. And Marvel was a given. And uh, the university was really gung-ho for that as well. And it was actually when I saw Winter Soldier the first time that I thought this will be easy. I mean, I knew I could derive something from it anyway, but Winter Soldier convinced me. It's like, oh, there's going to be no problem coming up with the kind of material we need to discuss. And uh, and that course came together very smoothly. That's fantastic. Yeah, I can't imagine. Do you feel like uh, it's it's a course subject that has been picked up and other places have done it? Or well, it seems like it would be a popular thing to do nowadays. Yeah, I mean, there, I, I'm not certain if there are any right now that have also done like specifically that. But the thing is, there's so many different permutations. Tons of people are doing all kinds of like media themed courses on Marvel characters, on the various movies, on superheroes in general. There's no end of material to use. And the point is, you know, regardless of the usual voices of the uninformed who are like, oh, this is what our kids are learning in school. It's like, no, what they're learning to do is think critically about the world around them. You use the pop culture material as a window. And um, so there are lots of these kind of courses around now, many more than before. And I think that's that's an indication of how powerful it can be. Uh, That is just super exciting. It's I think it's a great idea and it's a great way to really connect with kids. Oh, yeah, definitely. You get such wonderfully engaged conversations and suddenly they're talking about serious subject matter. And all you have to do is just open that door. Meet them where they are. Yeah. You you hand them like an old textbook. They may not get engaged. You talk about Captain America's moral dilemma and suddenly you're talking about very real things. Well, and that's certainly something that uh, bring it back to Iron Man. um, Mm. uh, He's certainly a character that dealt with alcoholism and the 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 battles of technology and everything so he makes for a very interesting character study uh as well i would think 
Absolutely. And one yeah. of the things that I've, I've written about and talked about over the years is in a way how absolutely bizarre, almost inexplicable it is to anybody that grew up with the Marvel Universe to think that this is the character that wound up becoming the starting point. For the, for the film. Right. I mean, it's. I, I've always said it's never the one I don't think any of us would have chosen. But then again, a lot of it was dictated at first by very real world legal concerns like, oh, well, they don't have the Fantastic Four. They don't have Spider-Man. The obvious right. choices were out, you know, were not in their toolbox at the moment. But to pick Iron Man was really, in retrospect, inspired. And, uh, and Very this, true. this first film ages beautifully, I think. There's so much in there to, to enjoy going back and knowing how it all evolves. Definitely, definitely. Well, let's get into our minute. We are looking at minute 66, of course, on today's show. The minute starts with Tony, after all of his crashes, icing himself for the first time. And it <laughs> ends with Raza staring into the eyes of the Mark I suit. Black eyes like a doll's eyes. <laughs> right. I have to get Jaws in here somehow. You won me over with that right away. So there you yeah, go. Right. <laughs> All right. So so we are kicking this off. We've got this. Uh, uh, this I, I don't know why I find it so funny that that finally Tony has an ice pack on his head. He's he's, <laughs> he's flung himself backwards with his uh, with his uh, uh, his boots into the uh, the Concrete cement ceiling. Wall, right. <laughs> he's mm-hmm. Blasted himself backwards with his uh, flight stabilizers on his hands. And uh, now, after he finally takes flight and uh, crash lands, I mean, granted, is a crash landing. He falls through two floors of his house, but still, this is when he he was in a full suit <laughs> he was that in time. His suit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> It's all part of building that whole thing, too, of one of the most important things in this character of relatability, too, is you got to knock the hero around a lot. It, it yes. makes you aware of them being a human being. And uh, so he's, he's not spared any bruises. Well, and as we've talked about, that is no more important. I mean, that is, that is potentially more important here in, in Iron Man to, to know that he is a human. Yeah. Uh, to, to recognize that it is the power of all the things that come together to make the suit. It's him, his intellect, and it's the technology uh, that, that reminds us that's where his superpower is, is the yeah. connectivity between all of those pieces. Yeah, and, and the fact that although he winds up being someone who can fight, there's, there's the element of he isn't a fighter. He, you know, it's like the old Roddy Dangerfield. I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. It's yeah, like right. <laughs> he, he isn't a, a brawn guy. He's a brain. And mm-hmm. the idea that everything that comes out of this is because he's smart is also a beautiful first message to lead off with for all these characters. And I think they also um, have a lot of fun with it in this section, which really is like the scientist at work designing the suit. It could be a boring section of the film, but I think that they are finding a really fun way to make it engaging and show that uh, you know, Tony's a scientist, but he's also somebody who has fun and uh, and can do things that, uh, you know, I, I think he pushes things. And uh, certainly he has arguments with Jarvis about that, you know, as far as even just going out on his his first flight, the whole sometimes you got to run before you can walk. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess you guys have probably talked plenty in the, the minutes prior to this, too. I mean, there's the inspired casting of Robert Downey Jr. I mean, in a way, all he really had to do is play himself for the most part. But right. being like this sort of overgrown, never stop being like a college guy thing works great for this character. And it's like when you see him in his element in his lab, it's like he's made working fun. He's made mm-hmm. everything around him a toy. 
It's like he's got his little robots. He's got all this stuff in his lab. You never – there are times where they eventually do things like this with him. But for a lot of times his center, his psychological center is he gets to tinker. And that's where he enjoys himself the most. Definitely. This is a very funny moment. This uh, There's a package that's been sitting here since it was about minute 58. Uh, so eight minutes ago, film time. And that was the evening when Obadiah dropped by to have a conversation with him. Time has since passed. He uh, it, it was the next day, day 11, when he was working on all of his stuff. And then theoretically, assuming that it all happens in a 24-hour period, it could be that night. But regardless, 24 hours later, he finally decides to pick up that cup of coffee and, and wants to drink it. And that's the cue that, that uh, allows him to see the note, uh, the from Pepper note, and, and, and inspire him to open this package. But I think it's funny that he, I, I don't know why that it's the cup, a cup of coffee that uh, that he picks up at this point because it's been there for a very long time. I got to also mention, I think that I remember watching this the first time and thinking that this was an example of when writing, when, when script writing is so satisfying and so well done, they set up this MacGuffin basically with the other arc reactor and it means so much on so many different levels. Her giving him this little gift of the arc reactor in the little display box is a comment on his character. It speaks to one of the main thematic things that will run through Tony's entire life, you know, having a heart, being human despite having to build a machine around him. But as we'll see in future minutes, uh, there will be other reasons for this arc reactor to be important and the way that this – what works out is just extraordinary, I think, in terms of writing, because it doesn't make it feel like it's important quite yet, just as a character beat. It's just a nice little gesture. And that character beat is also critical, right? Because we have it, it's sort of a commentary. I think we get this beat where we get to reflect on Tony's relationship with stuff, right? Yeah. Is, the, yeah. the first 65 minutes are really watching this billionaire playboy have a loose relationship with materialism. Like he doesn't really care so much about all the fancy things he has. What what he demonstrates is that he cares so much about, um, you know, about process and about building and tinkering. And as you said, you know, he's got, they're all toys to him until right now where we get this it in 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 one way this beat is is the punchline to this sort of um to this joke that was set up long ago that you know what he cares about some things this is a thing he cares about and if you want to look at it in a slightly darker way too which i also think is a brilliant touch particularly again i know trying to avoid like more specifics about future but obviously you know sitting many years later sure. we know a lot about tony <laughs> uh there's the flip side of that too which is that ultimately the biggest toy he tinkers with is himself yeah. And, he, right. you know, it's like on the one hand, this is a beautiful moment where we know Pepper saying, oh, you have a heart. Yes. But the heart she's showing him is a machine. So there is an element here of, you know, is he human or is he just another big toy that he's rebuilt ever since his, you know, and they get real psychological, you know, childhood trauma and everything. So there's a lot of great layers to this. Who would have ever thought that you get that kind of complexity, you know, the superhero movie uh, that's also like, you know, trying to tentatively start off what they hope would be a franchise. They certainly couldn't be certain that this would, yeah. you know, lead to anything. And yet they're going for it, I think, in this movie in so many ways. And it's very satisfying. 
So and and in the process, they made a flagship film for the transhumanist movement. Who knew? <laughs> That's <right>. who knew. <laughs> Let's all get arc reactors. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of arc reactors, how long do you think this thing glows? Like it's <laughs> is it just a, is it a self perpetuating uh, energy source? And if so, would it have been smart for? For Pepper to have actually listened to him earlier and just <laughs> thrown it away, which is what he told her to do. I get the impression that for all the things Tony does that uh, destroys things or ruins things, how much better the world would be if he was just smart enough to utilize some of this technology the right way, which I don't think he's doing. <laughs> right. But, you know. Yeah, I have exactly. a sense that now that this thing is not being being used to power anything, mm-hmm. that it is effectively uh perpetual right it like it's it's gonna keep glowing because it's not drawing to use anything uh or, or to power a giant suit or a city or whatever uh so i i think it's gonna be that just magical desktop tchotchke you know because <laughs> it was generating what like 50 gigajoules or something like that <laughs> yeah so, yeah something put it like that it's ridiculous box. that's fine put, right. it in, <laughs> put it in glass <laughs> Just don't bump it. It might, uh, right. you know, the, it might right. <laughs> ignite the repulsor. Uh, <laughs> It'd be like a Dr. Manhattan level event somewhere. And like, That's Tony. <laughs> oh, there he goes again. Well, we go from, uh, from this moment, and I, I think it is a beautiful moment but, uh, that kind of signals that uh, further development in the connection between uh, Tony and Pepper as their characters. Um, but we go from that moment to uh, again we have john favreau using a wipe transition it's this is a great star wars wipe mm-hmm. i know he's he's doing it again uh, this is right to left and then we end up back in the tent in the kunar province this is not the cave anymore now the ten rings terrorists are i guess in a tent because the uh, the cave got a little messed up when tony escaped and uh, so they're in a tent and they've been uh, they've uh, They've found quite a lot of these parts laying around in the desert, and uh, it's it's funny to watch Omar and Ahmed uh, doing their best trying to figure out how to put all these pieces into place in this one particular piece that they just can't figure out where it goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not badly, though. It's a lovely... No, they've done a great job, and it's a lovely little comic moment, right, where you have kind of the overseer, you know, he's watching these guys, these, the, the, the way the camera tracks, uh, to the right, it just, it feels like a great sort of, like, how did these guys shuffling paper around? How did these guys possibly put all these pieces together? They're buffoons. They're the buffoons of the thing. And uh, it it always strikes me as kind of a comical accident that they managed to, to set all the pieces in largely the right place. Uh, while this right. in serious overseeing, you know, uh, oh, of Melty yeah. Face. Yeah, that great uh, shot of him in half shadow with the cigarette. Uh, he just, I mean, the thing is that guy, I, I can't remember his name now. I feel terrible. You guys Raza. probably guys are, yeah, He's just, and he's wonderful as an actor every time. He he seemed to be doing quite a run there for a while. He was in the, the first of the new Star Trek films and, yeah. and like he's turning up a lot of stuff. And at this point in the movie particularly, it still really feels like we're building to something like, oh, he's going to put that suit on and it's going to be a showdown between the arms dealer who's had a change of heart, literally, and the guy who's been using the arms. And on top of that, anybody who's a fan is watching this and thing. And, you know, particularly if they read stuff in advance for the film, it's like, oh, maybe this is the guy that's going to be the Mandarin. And, right. you know, we're getting right. So what's beautiful about this, too, is it really keeps setting him up as we're heading to something with him. 
Yeah, it, it, it's interesting the way that they were doing that. And I mean, obviously, they were, uh, as we know, in retrospect, they were having issues trying to figure out uh, who the villain was still as and kind of rewriting on the fly. But I do like that Raza seems like he's going to be the villain. I think it, it makes for an interesting twist later. And uh, but at this point, I think he's a great job as essentially the heavy up through this first half of the film. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it, on the one hand, too, it's it's uh, it can be a bit pat, but it's it's still true. I mean, particularly in that era, too, we're only a few years out from 9-11 and the idea of using, you know, certain ethnic type and terrorists. It's still Hollywood has a long tradition of just picking people out of a box and saying, well, here's your villain. And yeah. it works, but the beauty of it is, I think anyway, maybe it doesn't excuse all of it, but I think that he's he's an excellent actor. The way they structure it is interesting. The subversion of expectations eventually makes it interesting. And I think it somehow manages to at least partially get away from the predictability of it. And again, it's another layer to this movie that feels like this movie is just doing so many things better than it needs to, to be a success. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons it, it's such a great foundation for everything that came after. Well, and at least we know that it's not all uh, just ethnic stereotyping. We know there's at least one Hungarian in the mix. <laughs> <That's>, so. <laughs> it's an eclectic group is what it is. That's right. Uh, very well, and I don't so. think we've mentioned his name yet. You know, Roz is played by Ferran Tahir and, um, you know, he has been everywhere. We've seen him in, in a number of places. And you guys, uh, it was it was now, I think, 30 episodes ago that that uh, Andy, you and, and uh, JJ were talking about him in American Crime, yeah. um, mm. that he's just keeps uh, bouncing around in just wonderful, wonderful properties. And so uh, it's great to see him. And, and that is, I think, ultimately. Uh, my only regret that, you know, whatever you think about the Mandarin, that it wasn't him. I, it's, yeah. it's sort of a, a sadness to me. Yeah, it would have been nice to see a connection back to the first film. And, and it certainly feels at this point like that's something that's like a seed that's being planted yes. for the future. And, you know, didn't go that way. But it, it is interesting in a way, too. There's the added fun uh, of looking back at things like this many years later and seeing the things that happened and the things that didn't. And mm -hmm. uh, and you, right. do, you do get a sense in this movie of these are people feeling their way. They're getting so much right, but they also aren't certain what they're doing at times. And right. uh, it's fun to take a look at that creative process happening. Well, I do like that they at least give us the nod that he's also got the, that one giant ring yes. on one finger. I'm like, is that one of the ten? Yeah, he's got one on, but his other fingers are feeling a little light right now. He needs some others. Right. <laughs> the, um, I, I've been trying to have the Reddit community do translations for me of these scenes to, to uh, figure out what people are saying and they've kind of failed me on this one oh um they did at least let me know that it wasn't arabic well i think the thing that threw me is before in the past that there has been arabic between these characters when they were talking with uh, abu but for whatever reason now they're speaking urdu and i had posted it as arabic and, and somebody finally said no they're definitely not speaking arabic oh, I see. and somebody has identified it as urdu for me but that's as far as i've gotten so hmm. if i end up finding out down the road i'll have to uh I'll have to let people know what they're actually mumbling as they try to assemble this thing. Hmm. Well, I'll I'll just throw in, because I know you've certainly dealt with it already when this suit made its appearance, but since I wasn't there, I, I'll at least mention, for me anyway, I think this first suit is one of the real joys of this first movie, is 
if there was a great early indicator to anyone that grew up as a fan that, you know, the ongoing debate of faithfulness versus, at you know, adaptability of material, I think this first suit is a beautiful example of how to pull off something that is completely faithful and yet works within, you know, the new story that you're telling, the new version of the story. Um, and so I think it's another tribute to this is that the design elements of this film feel so right. They feel like they're capturing aspects of the Marvel Universe from the comics and doing a great job of realizing them as a real-world thing. This suit looks like the good old 60s tin can he started with, but it also looks functional and like something he cobbled together in that cave. And uh, it's just an amazing piece of work to see them really accomplish that. I think it really helps that they there's clearly pieces that were uh, cut from other elements where you, you still have the writing printed on mm-hmm. some parts of it. And I, I love that, how it does actually feel that uh, cobbled together sense of it. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing, too, is they're talking about like character building, like literally and figuratively. This is the first best example of this is who Tony Stark is, someone who can take these bits and pieces and make that. And that's his superpower. And that's an example right away of this is why this guy has something that nobody else has is he can do something like that. That suit is an external representation of what his real superpower is. So it's just a great opening like sort of uh, introduction to the workings of his mind is those these pieces. And even though they're left behind, it's like, well, you know, bigger and better. And certainly, as we know, he never leaves that suit along, alone for very long before he's got another idea to, to make it better again. And yet, as you say, I think one of the things that's, that is really a testament, especially, you know, you just feel it when they do that slow push at the end of this minute into the face, right? It's yeah. not covered in sand. It doesn't have that kind of hero thing. It's not obscured by shadow or darkness or smoke or explosives. Uh, it is, it's the ultimate hero shot of this thing. And it comes with such a sense of, of joyfulness um, that it is so deeply rooted and connected to the earliest comic. Yeah, and the fact that it's a cut from our villain character, Raza, yeah. to, to that face, it's like they're getting a chance to have the hero-villain confrontation and Tony's not even there. All through just a, a super smart edit. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't have anything else for this minute. Uh, what about you guys? Nope. All good here. Well, Arnold, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, where can people find you out on the interwebs? I am on Twitter way too often at Doctor of the Dead. <laughs> uh, Doctor of the Dead is sort of my my zombie uh, expert persona that that's grown up, so you can do that. But I also uh, publish a wide array of nonfiction books on all sorts of pop culture topics, including superheroes. And you can find those at atbpublishing.com. Yeah, you're on Twitter uh, a lot, and uh, Twitter is just something I've never quite been able to grasp. But uh, I appreciate <laughs> that that you are on it as much as you are. <laughs> Some of us got to do it, I guess. That's just the way it is. <laughs> right. Well, everybody, that is it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us if, over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash the next reel. Until next time, true believers. 